Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Motherkind podcast with me, your host, Zoe Blasky. Thank you for being here. Thank you for pressing play. I really appreciate you. This week's episode is something a bit different. It is with Jessica Ehrlich. Jessica is an author and a poet who lives in New Zealand with her husband and two young children. I wonder if some of you might have read her words because they often go viral, particularly around Instagram. She is an author of three poetry books, From One Mum to Another, All I See Is You and My After All. Jessica is also best-selling author of a children's picture book on emotions called The Rainbow in My Heart. This episode is beautiful. You're going to learn how to find inspiration from your innate creativity, even if it feels really hidden right now. You're going to learn how a shift in perspective can help you see your children's challenges totally differently. We also talk about boundaries with social media and how Jessica knows when it's healthy and when it's something that she might want to dig into or change some behavior around. Also, I've never heard her do this. So it was a massive honour because Jessica reads three of her favourite poems for us and explains the inspiration behind them. It is absolutely beautiful. It felt like a balm for my slightly frazzled mind and soul when Jessica was reading. So I really hope that her words have the same impact on you. So before we get on to this week's episode, I want to tell you a little bit about our sponsor this week. Portable breast pumps are just brilliant, aren't they? They're convenient, fuss-free and allow us to get on with whatever we need to do hands-free. And the Frau Pal pump is just brilliant. The pump tucks into your bra so you can pump and go with no wires. It has 12 comfort levels. How good is that? It has capacity for 180 ml milk. And I think this bit is really important. The Frau Pau pump is really competitive and an accessible price point. It's actually over £150 cheaper than many of the other hand-free pumps out there. Frau Pau also offer a totally free midwife live chat every Friday on their website. So anyone can head there if you need some advice from a professional midwife, whether you're pregnant, you have a newborn, or you just need some help with your baby. Listeners of the podcast can get 10% off the Frau Pau breast pump at www.fraupau, that's F-R-A-U-P-O-W, Dot com with the code motherkind10. That's fraupau.com, motherkind10 for 10% off your portable breast pump. And see the website motherkind.co for T's and C's. Here is this week's episode. Oh, Jess, it is such a joy to have you on. I feel like your words have just been such a comfort to me. So to be chatting with you feels a bit surreal. I'm so excited. <laughs> Oh, I'm just so honoured that you're having me on. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, we're going to have 
the incredible gift because I think you're going to read something for us. But before you do that, I really was curious to get to know a bit more about you because I'm guessing lots of people will know your words. But I'm wondering, when did you first turn to writing as a way to process motherhood? Well, I think my second had just turned about six months old. And I used to write when I was a lot younger. I've always loved poetry, but I was kind of in the throes of having two a year apart. I was going through a bit of postnatal anxiety as well. And it was actually my husband who said to me, you know, you should get back into writing. And I was like, oh yeah, you know, thinking about just picking up a pen and paper. And he said, why don't you actually just start an Instagram account? Cause you know, that's the thing we do these days. And I was like, oh, actually, yeah, I guess I could do that. And so I did. And I thought if no one even sees this, that's fine. I'm just going to start writing. I'm going to put it out there and see what happens. And I started following a lot of other accounts that were also really vulnerable about their motherhood journey. And I just met this amazing community of other writers and that's how it started. Mm, The power of community is just unbelievable, isn't it? The most powerful thing. Yeah. And when you first started, did you reconnect instantly with that younger part of yourself, that passion, or did you have to break through some creative resistance and creative blocks? Tell us about that because now you seem so in flow with it. I don't know if I am. I mean, I have moments now where I think, oh, I've got no inspiration and I can't think of anything. And that's when I say to myself, okay, so don't, don't do anything. Don't try and write. Just live your life. Just be because inspiration comes through the living. It comes through the chaos. It comes through the new experiences. So that's why sometimes when I have these commission pieces, it's quite difficult because I have to actually carve out time and sit there and go, right, I've got to write something now. And that's so impossible. I can do it, but I've found the most authentic pieces that have come to me have been the ones that, you know, when I've been in the absolute thick of it and you don't have time to write at that moment, obviously. So I just jot some notes into my notepad and my phone or maybe even one sentence. And then when the kids are down at night and I've got a moment to breathe, I'll come back to it. And then I'll build off that. So my writing has been very disjointed. It's not been often that I've sat down and written something from start to finish, unless I was doing a night feed or sitting there for an hour trying to get one of my kids to fall asleep. It's not something that I've been able to do because of the chaos of just having two young kids. But I didn't really find that there were any barriers to break through because I wasn't writing for anybody else. I was just writing for myself. And I think, I guess that honesty and that vulnerability through my writing or anybody else's writing is what connects people because you can see yourself in those words because they're honest. It's so powerful, isn't it? And so what has the writing given you? What's poetry given you? How do you think your motherhood experience would have been different without that practice? I think it's given me something for myself outside of just being a mother. And look, just being a mother, I hate using the word just, I've got a piece that's called not just a mother. But for me, and this is just my experience, I wanted something more. I needed something more because I was completely immersed in it and I just couldn't find myself in it. And so when I started writing, when I built this community when I published my first book, I felt this kind of sense of some achievable goals and something outside of motherhood. And I just needed that. I needed something for myself. And at the same time, it's all about my kids anyway, and it's all about my journey. So 
it's completely to do with motherhood, but it's my own thing. And that was important to me. Yeah. That's the same as me with the podcast. Mm, You need it sometimes. Yeah, I think so. It definitely makes me a better parent having a creative without a doubt. It makes me a better parent. What have you learned about yourself? You know, you talk about this so poignantly in your words, but what have you learned about yourself since becoming a mother? I've learned so much through my little boy. He's recently been diagnosed with a sensory processing disorder and dyspraxia. Still learning a bit about dyspraxia. It was actually a term I'd never heard before. But when he was probably, I mean, I could say from a newborn, but I knew definitely when he was about four months old, he was very highly sensitive and very attuned to noises. And he could pick up on the energy of people in the room, just an old soul, I suppose. But his highly sensitive ways in some way were quite triggering for me. And I had to do a lot of soul searching through all these mirrors that he was holding up to me to kind of ask myself why I was feeling so triggered in these moments and what it really was that was bothering me because I loved his highly sensitive personality. I adore it in so many ways, but I guess the challenges were just kind of, some days they were just overshadowing it all. And I think when I look back, I think, oh, maybe I was taught to squash my feelings when I was younger. Maybe this was who I was. And so I did a lot of reading. I read The Highly Sensitive Child by Elaine Aaron, I think. And there is one called The Highly Sensitive Parent. I haven't read that yet, but just reading through this book, I was like, oh my goodness, he is me. This is me. This is who I am as well. So a lot of self-acceptance through parenting and it's been a beautiful journey, but one that there has been a lot of challenges with as well. I think so many people, me included, and I wonder if my little six-year-old, I mean, she's definitely highly sensitive. I don't know whether it's, you know, it's such a scale, isn't it? But she absolutely, Mm. a lot of what you're describing and you've read about your little boy, so I really relate. How Mm. did you begin to make that shift between this is really triggering me to this is something that I need to look into myself did that just happen over time or you know as you said was it a book was it that book tell us more about that I think it was definitely part of that book it was also reading a lot of Glennon Doyle's work and then just following other accounts that talk about their highly sensitive children it was a combination of a lot of things but in a way it was kind of that whole reparenting thing it was like right well I don't want him to grow up feeling like what he has is not a gift because it is, it is a gift and it needs to be protected. I don't want him growing up feeling like that. So what can I do? I've got a lot of power here. What can I do to help him realize that these big feelings are okay? Please don't squash them. Please don't hide them. And I think in a way by making that shift, it's helped me to accept my own big feelings so powerful isn't it when we can slowly turn that mirror back on ourselves what are your hopes for him it's just self-acceptance to be honest I mean I don't want him to change I want him to be comfortable in the skin that he's in you know it's a hard world out there and he's got school in a year and oh it makes me nervous I just want him to embrace himself accept himself and feel safe in who he is and I've asked that question lots of times and yeah, I think that's just what all parents want. Deep yeah. down, just want our, our children to be happy with who yeah. they are. That's it. 
So beautiful. And what have you learned about your relationship? Because you also write so beautifully about that. Oh, wow. So many things. I think a lot of the pieces that I write tend to veer on the kind of, not negative, but the raw, oh my God, like we're in this, we're really in the thick of this. We've really got to be each other's anchors right now. And sometimes I think I paint this picture of things are really hard. And actually we are like a very solid team and things are great. But I like to write about those early days because one thing that I saw a lot of, especially on social media, were these beautiful like newborn photo shoots. And I mean, we got those shoots. We went and had one of those done where the baby's all wrapped up in this cute little thing and there's like flowers everywhere. And, you know, the parents are all doting. Well, I remember my breasts were bleeding at the time. I forgot my bottle of formula. I was at home and I was crying. And luckily the photographer had some formula there and Drew and I had had a fight in the car on the way there. And then we had these beautiful photos and then we put them up on Facebook later and we're like, oh, look, you know, we're so happy. (laughs) So when I write about it, I try and find that balance between, yes, you're really happy. You've just met this new love of your life, but this shit is real. Like this is actually really hard as well. And if you didn't have you know, like sometimes you really need that solid foundation of friendship before you go into this because you are going to see things. I mean, they're going to see things of you that you never thought they would see. And that's going to happen. Like it's beautiful, but it's hard. So I try and write about the honesty of that. What you just described about the photo shoot and the reality. I mean, that to me is just social media in so many ways, not the more honest accounts, of course, but yeah, I feel like just that presenting of the best parts but I guess like what else do you do I mean the funny thing is is that you're not going to probably put up a story on your personal Facebook saying this is what just happened you're not going to do that because it's like at the moment I've got quite a high following on social media and I'm actually more comfortable putting one of my very vulnerable pieces of writing out there typically for a whole bunch of strangers than I would on my personal page which is crazy And I don't know why that is, but it's just what we do, right? I'm exactly the same. And when I think about this, I think, so then, you know, it sort of comes down to us, right? Who are using social media to keep remembering that, especially I think for new mums, because there can be, as you said, so many, you know, we're so happy posts. And I think that's just the nature of the beast, but I think it is really important to remember, not compare, you know, our insights to someone else's outsides yeah and I think just treating it as company to be selective of just like you would do in real life you Mm. struggle with comparison oh definitely like I still do now I'm a lot better than I used to be because I understand everyone's mess to a degree is swept out of the frame I get that but it's so hard not to because it's just this constant I try and be really purposeful when I go on social media now and and I mostly just jump on there just to engage with the accounts that I love and post. But I'll find myself scrolling and then sometimes I'll be thinking, oh, I should have done that for my kids. Oh, why haven't I done? Oh, they're not doing this. And I got really hung up on Harry not being able to ride a bike. You know, all my friends' kids were riding a bike and whizzing around on two wheelers by the age of three, for example, when Harry's four and just learning how to ride a bike. And I mean, look, he's got his thing and the dyspraxia is one of the reasons, but even if not, that wasn't his interest. Why should I care about what other kids are doing? Like he was happy, his interests were elsewhere. And so I just try and remind myself, that's their life. This is my life. There is no right or wrong here. And there is no one standing behind me marking my parenting on a clipboard. 
I'm my own boss of the parenting, or sometimes he's the boss, but I get to say how I want to do this. I get to set my own expectations and I'm not going to take those expectations from social media because they're not real. I really relate to the bike riding as well. My daughter's six and she still can't ride a bike. She just hates it. She's not interested. Yeah, that's it. She loves scooters. I just got so obsessed over it. It's ridiculous. It's so easily done though, isn't it? Because, well, for me, underlying that is sort of fear that I'm doing something wrong or that she's wrong or... It's always fear Mm. for me underlying that sort of worry. Yeah, it comes from somewhere. And I think for me, I'm still quite hard on myself and I tend to always turn the blame inward. And when I know that I'm starting to do that, which doesn't help anybody, I just take a bit of a break. I mean, I'm on social media a lot. I have to be, it's my job now. But like I said, I try not to scroll too much because I think it is very easy to get lost in that world of comparison. Yeah, it sure is. What else do you do to keep yourself safe around your job now? Like what are your boundaries with your phone? Would you be on the phone in front of the kids? Like, How do you manage that? Because I think you know, as someone who's created this amazing career with your poetry, but at the same time as raising these two young children, Mm. what are the boundaries you put around that? In the beginning, it was really hard and I didn't have very good boundaries at all. It was just nonstop. I think, yeah, Holly was six months and Harry would have been 18 months. And so I would just pick it up and put little wee notes in it here and there. And at the time I didn't have books then, so it wasn't quite as busy. But every time I picked up my phone in front of them, they would act up. And it was it was this constant, like they knew, they could see that my attention was elsewhere, so things got worse. And it kind of got to the point that I was like, right, I've got to stop being on my phone around them. Not all the time, that's, that's impossible. Like we all just need that little wee outlet and break. But I felt like it was getting to the point that I was using it as an outlet too often to escape my reality that was right in front of me and I wasn't being present enough with the kids. And so I realized that. And so what I did was I ended up getting a nanny to come in twice a week for three hours. And I used that time to do my post right. (laughs) It wasn't a lot of time. And then I did the rest at night time. Now the kids are at kindy, not all week, but I can definitely use those segments now to plan properly, use my phone. I tend to not be on it much when they're here now because I have that time. But when they're young, it's really hard. Yeah, I so relate as well. It's so incredible how attuned children can be to what's going on with your attention and your energy. Yeah, mine were the same. Because of the podcast, I've read all these sort of scary studies about phone use in children. So I'm sort of super conscious of it now but you know I still got yeah. I still do it of course I do you know sometimes yeah. check stuff but I think yeah. it's a really powerful thing to look at isn't it and to question like am I genuinely just needing to check a few things or is that part of me just needing that escape yeah I think as long as you're mindful then yeah it's okay yeah so what's next for you what's your plans with the books and I cannot wait to, you're going to read us some of your poetry soon I can't wait but what's your uh, Well, The Rain by My Heart's now out in the UK. So that's my children's book on feelings, which I wrote for Harrison. And we got number one bestseller here in New Zealand, which was so, so unexpected, but amazing. So it kind of explores children's feelings through colour and rhyme. And it's been used as a resource in uh, schools and kindergartens. So that's in the UK at the moment. Next, I have 
I don't know if I can talk too much about it yet, but it's sequel, I guess you could say, coming out in September. And then I've got a gift book, which I'm really excited about coming out next year. But that's a long way away because we're only in January this year. So I just have to try and be patient about that, but I'm very excited. But yeah, that's really all that's going on for me at the moment. That's quite a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like with books, you've got this huge, like drawn out time where you've written it, but you've got to wait a year for it to come out. So you're like, what do I do now? Do I think about the next one? Do I just keep writing? Do I take a break? What do you do? I don't know. I think I should just take a break. It's really hard to do sometimes. Are you good at looking after yourself? I'm good at taking time when I know I'm about to feel burnt out. Yeah. I'll go hang out with some friends. I'll go get my nails done or I'll do something alone. But in terms of working, no. My brain is just always going back and forth like, oh, this is a great idea. Oh, what about this? But yeah, we've got a holiday coming up in March and I'm just going to turn my phone off. I say that now, but I'm really going to try. Let me know how you get on. (laughs) I'll be watching. I'll be watching. (laughs) So would you be up for reading some of your words? Yeah, definitely. There's one I'd actually like to read. It's funny, I noticed the poems of mine that tend to get shared the most are ones from the baby's perspective or about our children. But I quite like reading the partner's pieces. So this one's a wee bit different and it's called Rubbish Day. These days, a bed with us both doesn't need a baby between for us to be separate or feel unseen. A thought of you is quickly replaced about them or the chores or shrugging off your embrace. Never far from apart as you pull me in close, a beautiful battle of who needs me the most. My energy drained bit by bit, my arms pulled to elastic, my hair fraying like a ragdoll. What to do with your compliments when my reflection's so fragile? It's not your fault, you see. We're the same mum, mummy, babe, mummy, honey, I've forgotten my name. My heart is so full, yet it's still healing. I open my mouth and speak words with no feeling. We talk when it's dark and all is done. Once the trials from the day are razor sharp on my tongue. And to extend further warmth just feels like a chore. There's no pictures of just us on my phone anymore. It's not that I don't love you. I do more than ever. It's the ships we've become drifting off in the weather. And I long to fall into those arms so much, but I don't quite know what to do with your touch. I know beautiful and ragged become one and the same when we speak of mothers, when we speak of this change. It shouldn't be such an effort, should it? To be a mother, a wife, a lover, and everything I was before and after. I love how you try with all of your strength to break down my walls while my arm holds our length. It's all I imagined, bum pats over dishes while our babes are tucked up. It's not perfect, yet it is. I watched you with the kids the other night. It felt warm in my chest. Everything felt right. I smiled. Tell him. Tell him. You looked up and I swallowed. Are you taking out the bins? Mm, that's so beautiful when I first posted it I was like oh I don't know how this one's going to be received but I was quite surprised actually everyone was like oh wow you said it you just you said it (laughs) I think just the line that there's no photos of just us on my phone anymore yeah there's something I noticed I was trying to find a photo of us I can't remember what it was for and ever since Harry was born I was like oh my gosh we don't have any. And that's all that there used to be, just selfies of us. Yeah, just all those little realizations. And so when you wrote that, do you write it in just, you know, I, I know you shared you kind of write in snippets. Do you edit it? 
and you're like, no, I'm going to change that word? Or does it just, in the snippets that you write it in, does it flow? There are definitely poems where I do change words and they're ones where I tend to overthink them. If I've been chipping away at them for a couple of days or longer, I will overthink them a little bit. But actually some of the pieces like that particular piece, I wrote that in one hit and then I think I shared it the same day. So I didn't think about that one at all. There's the piece I wrote, Dear Mama, and that was my first piece that went viral and that I wrote in 15 minutes while I was breastfeeding Holly. (laughs) And so I think it's like some of the pieces that you move around and overthink a lot probably aren't. Maybe it's from the heart. That's something I've learned with my writing anyway. Will you read Dear Mama? Yeah, I can read that one. Apparently it makes everybody cry. And I feel bad that I make everyone cry all the time. It's really not what I set out to do, but it just seems to happen. (laughs) Dear Mama, I don't remember if our house was big or small or if we rented or owned. I don't remember if you had a fancy car or if we had to take the bus. I don't remember if the house was clean and tidy or if it was covered in washing piles and scattered toys. I don't remember if my pram was new or secondhand or if I had the latest new toy or designer clothes. I don't remember if you were dressed up or if your face was bare. It always looked perfect to me. I don't remember if you had a lot of money or whether you lived paycheck to paycheck. I don't remember if we went out every day or went on expensive holidays. I don't remember how sometimes you got angry or cried or had to walk out of the room to take a breath. I don't remember a schedule, a checklist, or any expectations other than just you. What I do remember is feeling safe. I remember your comfort and how you kept me warm. I remember your face above me when I cried for you. I remember how you would feed me when I was hungry or tired or in pain. I remember your smell and how it would send me off to sleep, sometimes at 2 a.m., then again at 4 a.m. I remember your smile. It was the first reason I smiled. I remember how you played with me and got down on the ground with me before I could get up. I remember you taught me about love before anything else and how it was my constant. I remember knowing it was the only thing I ever really needed and you gave that to me. I never had to work for it. I relaxed in it. Thank you for teaching me that love has no limits, that is unconditional and honest. This is what I will remember, Mama. Thank you for giving me the best memories of all. That is so beautiful. I can see why everyone cries. (laughs) Yeah, I definitely cried writing that one. I don't cry reading them, but I definitely cry writing them. What were your tears about? I actually wrote that after a friend's funeral and it was a dad who had left three of his young kids away, behind, sorry, and the youngest was so little and it broke my heart because she was just learning to walk. And when I was listening to the speeches from his family and hearing one of his children talk about him and what she remembered, it just, I don't know, something about that. It was, it was extremely sad, but the memories were so beautiful and really happy. And it kind of just made me realize, you know, all these things that we worry about, they're actually not the takeaways that our kids have. When I think back to my favorite memories. It's not anything that was bought for me. It's the time that was spent with me. It's the experiences. It's the expressions I saw on my mum's face. It's, you know, it's those really little things. It's how they made you feel, right? So that's where that inspiration came from. 
I suspect that's why that poem speaks to so many people's hearts because it's just, you know, when you hear a truth, it's just a truth, isn't it? That we get so wrapped up in. And I think we all know it deep down. It's just sometimes needing that reminder. Mm. I think that's probably why it just touched people's hearts in the way that it did because it's so easy, isn't it, to get lost in thinking about the stuff and the what we look like and, you know, have we done enough of this and that and yeah when we look back that's not what we remember is it no it's so beautiful and you wrote that in 15 minutes yeah I wrote it actually that night after the funeral while I was feeding Holly so that's why I was saying before I sort of think a lot of the pieces that I've written or the ones that I've read from other people that have resonated so deeply with me and are so raw I I sort of get the feeling that maybe they wrote them quite quickly too it was just everything from their head down onto paper Yeah, I love reading poems like that. Who are some of your favourite writers? You mentioned Glennon Doyle, mine too. Love her, but like who doesn't? I love Rupi Kaur. I don't know if I'm saying her last name right. I absolutely adore her work. And I really love the poem Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. But I really don't have a lot of time to read poetry. I read some on Instagram, but yeah, I really love Rupi's work. It's really beautiful. And I love Mary Oliver. Oh, yeah. I mean, that poem, like, I feel like every time I read it, I take something different away from it. It's beautiful. Mm. Can you read us one more before we close? Yeah, sure. I'll read you a, a shorter one. This is um, inspired by my little boy, my everything. I want to tell you everything I know, carry you and guide you, yet somehow, as your tiny finger points to things in wonder, and your eyes meet mine, the paradigm shifts. I once thought I was to show you the world when all along you came to show me. Powerful, isn't it? They teach us so much, don't they? Without even trying. Yeah, I think if we're sort of willing to see it that way. Mm, It's true, yeah. I think you have to have that willingness. Yeah. For sure. And remember, that's that. Yeah, and remember it. Oh, it's been such a joy to connect. Thank you. I know. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Of course. It's an absolute honour. Well, I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Well, I'm assuming it's hypothetical. If it is, I'd say a village because I obviously can't give that. But I think it's the one thing so many mothers these days really crave for. And in the current climate, we just don't have. So a lot of us, we venture online and search for that. And I hope in some ways, even though it's not the same, some mums and dads can find that feeling of the village through my words. We definitely do. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. And thank you for your words. I have read them, you know, in so many of my struggling moments and they have just given me that perspective and... Yeah, it's such. Oh, I'm so it's, humbled to hear that. Well, thank you so much. It's been an absolute joy. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom 
of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just 25 pounds currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care, I'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Lauren. And I'm Nicole. And if you enjoy this show, you will love our podcast, Self Care Club. Every week, we trial a different form of self care and report back on the results. We've tried everything from cuddle therapy, setting boundaries, laughter yoga, and many more. Two friends who rarely agree on anything, testing out the world of self care so you don't have to. We've even written a book dedicated to self care practices that cost you nothing. You can listen to Self Care Club wherever you get your podcasts. Or to purchase our book, search Have You Tried This on Amazon.